right, guys, it's good to be back with you. I've been out for about a month on a sabbatical, but I'm excited to be back doing one of my favorite things to do, which is preaching the word. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be back. So the last uh, several months, we as a church family have been going through this book of Ephesians, and it's my job to close it out this morning. And one of the big themes in Ephesians has been that our identity as believers is in Christ. So for example, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that we were chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. And in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we have been made alive in Christ so that it's by grace that we have been saved through faith. This is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, there's this glorious passage about how we've been united in Christ. So we're no longer separated by dividing walls of hostility, but we've been brought together as one body in Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that we are new in Christ, and as a result of this newness in Christ, we are called out from this generation to live in an entirely different way. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, some of us might have been a little bit offended, but we were called to be submissive in the role that God has placed us in to Christ. And so now we get to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're sort of sitting on, our, on the edge of our seats and we're wondering, how is Paul going to exhort us in Christ? And he calls us as the church, to sort of remember the entire book of Ephesians by grabbing a hold of this life that we have in Christ and calling us to be strong in Christ. Some of us have this temptation to sort of walk around and be sort of mopey. I'm just a sinner. I can't really do anything. I just look forward to going to heaven when... I'm made new, but for now, I'm just going to kind of mope around and wait till then. Some of us have this sort of weak in Christ mentality. Others of us, we love that strong call. We're like, yeah, let's be strong. But it has nothing to do with Christ. So it's like, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to take over the world. It doesn't matter if it's for Jesus or it's um, in my classes or it's just... In sports, I, I, I like that call to be strong. But what we're going to see is that there's this balance in the Christian life that we do have a strength, but it's the strength of dependence, not effort. So we're called to be strong in Christ. So we're going to ask three questions about what it means to be strong in Christ. Why, how, and when. So why? Let's look at verses 10 through 12 of Ephesians 6 to start. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For, which means he's giving us the reason, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So he says, why do we need to be strong in Christ? We need to be strong in Christ because we have a real yet invisible enemy called the devil, and he is the commander 
of a host of demons. So our primary fight is not against the political party on the other side or against members of our family or against the most recent person who's offended us on social media. Our primary fight is against Satan. Okay, so they brought me back off the bench of a sabbatical to talk about Satan. I realize this isn't the most popular topic today. And that's because the baseline assumption of our culture is an assumption of naturalism. The basic idea of naturalism is that what you see and what can be empirically proven and scientifically verifiable is real. And everything else is just superstition, and it's made up, and you shouldn't believe it. So when we start this conversation about the devil, I want to make you aware that I'm aware that that's what's sort of out there. And there's a couple reasons that I stand in confidence that this testimony is true. The first one is that it's in the Bible. Our final authority and resting place is not in the scientific community, although we believe the scientific community has a lot of good things to say. But our final authority and resting place as Christians as to what is true is the Bible. We believe this book. The Bible says that Satan is real. We believe it. But it's not just that the Bible says that it's true, that we believe it. We also believe that there is empirical evidence and proof. There's verifiable evidence that Satan and demons are real. Think about what's going on in our world right now, what's been exposed in the last several years. Think about the widespread sexual abuse in Hollywood, in the Protestant church, in the Catholic Church. Think about the rapes that are happening on college campuses. Think about the wars that are happening throughout our world. Think about the division in families over politics and over COVID-19. Some of the things that we're experiencing would have been unimaginable to us five years ago. And we know, as humankind, that we are responsible for these things happening in our world so that they're happening through us, but there's also a sense, isn't there, that they're happening to us. It's like there is this invisible force that is convincing us all to do things that we don't even want to do. And so at the end of the day, some of us will say, I can't believe I did that. We all have that moment. And to me, that is evidence of Satan's work and effect in our world. He is real. And the Bible says that he is like a roaring lion prowling around and seeking somebody to devour. And so Paul is telling us this so that we will not be ignorant of his presence and power in our world. But he is not calling us to a posture of fear. He's calling us to a posture of faith. As I said, 
we could run at the devil in our own strength and say, I got this. Give me a sword. I'm going right at him. I'm taking him on. And Paul builds up who he is and shows his power to us in this passage to say, that would be foolish. But he also calls us to be strong in Christ for those of us who would say, okay, if the devil's real and he's prowling around like a, a roaring lion, and you're saying that all of these wars and even disease and hatred and fighting and rape and abuse and all these scary things in the world are animated by him, then I'm just going to stay in my house and lock the door and play it safe for the rest of my life. And he would say, yes, the devil is real, and he is big, and he is strong, but Jesus is stronger. And so we do not stand in our own strength. We stand in the strength of Christ. We stand in dependence of him. I was thinking about this, and I was reminded of this time when I was a kid. I was in lower elementary school, and my family was dog-sitting for somebody. And so we took this little black dog, the skipper key, I can still see it as I'm talking about it, and we're walking this dog around the neighborhood, and you know how, like in the movie Sandlot and things like that, like dogs, like mean dogs especially, as a kid, they're like built way up in your mind, it's like the scariest thing in the entire world. Well, there was a dog like that around the corner from us, this German shepherd, and I had real reason to be scared of it because one time, I was actually bitten by this dog, and so we're walking this little skipper key around the corner, my mom, my dad, and me. I was on the inside, closest to the curb. We're sort of on the left side of the road. My mom's in the middle. My dad's on the outside. And we're walking by this house, and I've sort of got a, a peripheral vision, like an eye on this house. And I'm like, where's that dog? And sure enough, this German shepherd comes tearing around the sides of the, side of the house and comes running directly at us. And I, I just remember, like, I'm just looking up at this dog, and I'm just frozen. And before I knew it, my dad had gone from on the outside of me to the inside of me, and my dad is actually running up into the yard toward the dog. And he just like, ah! And this dog, just like tail between its legs, like makes that like scared dog sound like, oh! And it just like kind of walks back around the house. Guys, that's like us with Satan. His teeth are too big. He's too strong for us. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to do battle with him. He's a commander of an army that we cannot defeat. But Jesus is stronger. And do you know the ultimate evidence of this in the Bible is that God sent his own son to face up to the devil for us. And the most unexpected thing happened. He let that dog grab a hold of his son's throat and kill him. And Jesus was dead for three days at the hands of Satan himself. And yet, death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't defeat him. Jesus 
rose from the grave. Jesus is alive. He has faced the devil's best. The devil has given him everything that he had, and it could not hold him down. And so Paul says, be strong in that Christ. Be strong in the risen Christ. We don't walk around all mopey. We don't say, I can do this. We believe that Jesus is risen from the dead and that he walks beside us and that he lives inside us by his spirit so we can have confidence in him that we can face anything that this world has to throw at us. Maybe some of us need to say this morning who have been walking in fear, I was born for this. Jesus put me on this earth and he filled me with his spirit, not to cower in fear, but to face up to everything that Satan has to offer and to bring hope into this world, not by my own power, but by the power of Jesus himself, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, how is that possible? How? Paul gives us specifics, Ephesians 6, 13 through 16. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, remember, Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. He is right next to a Roman soldier. You've got to think that he's using his surroundings to give him ideas for his letter to the Ephesians. And so although the Roman soldier is not wearing armor, he's thinking about the armor that he would wear because the Roman army was the most powerful army in the world. So Paul uses this armor to break down for us what it looks like for us to fight this battle for truth. The first thing that he says is that we need to put on the belt of truth. So when we think of a belt in a soldier's uniform, we might think of something that goes over the top of everything else. But when people in that day thought of a belt, they thought of what a Roman soldier would have worn, which would have actually been underneath their armor. It would have sort of held together their undergarments. They would have tucked sort of their toga-looking thing into it so that they could run and be ready for battle. So the belt of truth was unseen, and yet it held everything together. I don't think Paul is not talking about our doctrine or what we believe in terms of the truth, what we assent to. I think he is partly talking about this, But I think, more specifically, he's talking about our integrity as Christians. 
what is unseen and yet holds everything else together. One of the things that Satan will use against you is your past sin, your lack of integrity, your failings, and your stumblings. But those things are, in a way, unavoidable for us as Christians. We will stumble until the day that we die. And so the way that we hold fast our integrity, yes, we try to obey Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, but we also confess when we don't. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So if you have unconfessed sin or relational brokenness with somebody, you've sort of left this dead spot in your armor where Satan can come and get you. And I would encourage you to confess that sin, not so that you'll be shamed or pushed out, so that you'll be forgiven and healed and ready to step back up onto the battlefield. The second thing that Paul tells us to put on is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, when I thought of a breastplate, I thought it just goes on the front, sort of covers a soldier's chest. But a breastplate in that day would actually cover the soldier's chest as well as their back. It would protect them from both long-range and short-range weapons, and it protected their most vital organs. You don't want to get shot in the lungs or in the heart or in the kidneys because that is devastating when you're on the field of battle. And Paul says that understanding that our righteousness is not found in us or our moral performance, but is found in Jesus Christ and what he has already done for us is our breastplate. So we believe this. We believe that we do not stand in our own goodness. We are justified not by works of the law, but by the righteousness and perfection of Jesus. So when Satan comes to you and he says, you're not good enough to be God's child, you say to him, you're right, Satan. I'm not good enough to be God's child. But do you know who is good enough to be God's child? Jesus. He is his son. Remember when he defeated you on the cross? Remember when he took it to you? Remember how you're done and you're finished and your accusations and lies don't matter to me anymore and they don't stick on me anymore? And that's because Jesus is worthy to be your son and I am found not in me. I'm not trusting in me anymore, but I am trusting in the finished work of Christ. And then you laugh at him. You go on with your day and go make a difference for Jesus. Okay, so we got the breastplate of righteousness. We've got shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Okay, so shoes for your feet. Obviously, shoes are very important for a soldier so that they can traverse over rugged terrain. But why is it the gospel of peace that gives us readiness? Wouldn't it be like a call to some sort of like nationalistic political movement where we all pick up weapons and fight? Wouldn't it be a gospel of war that would give us readiness? And Paul says, no, the battle that we're fighting is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and principalities that are at work in the present darkness. Here's what gives us readiness 
to march into the war with peace is because we have no enemies among humankind. We want everyone to be reconciled to God. We have a message of peace. We don't buy the cultural narratives that you've got to pick this side or that side, and if you pick this side, you've got to hate that side because we stand with King Jesus. And so we love our enemies, and we pray even for those who persecute us. We walk into the battlefield because we're looking at that person on the other side of the battle, and we are hoping that one day that person who now hates us will one day be sitting in this room with us and will be our brother or sister in Christ. You have to think when Paul is writing this that he's thinking about his own conversion. Think about this. Paul persecuted the church of God. He was literally an enemy of the church of God. He killed Christians as his job. He was a terrorist. And he became a Christian. He knows that it is for sinners that Jesus came. And we remember we were once far from God. And we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so we come to each person. And our agenda is love and peace, not hate. So we put on shoes given by the gospel of peace. And then in every circumstance, we take up the shield of faith, which we, with which we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So a shield in a Roman soldier's armor was about two feet wide and about four feet tall. And the shield was mainly to block arrows. And arrows would be coming from everywhere. And sometimes, as Christians, we can feel like the lies from Satan will just come out of absolutely nowhere. You'll just be sitting in church and minding your own business. Nothing would be further from your mind than to think like a crazy sexual thought. And it'll just come into your mind. And you'll just be like, where did that come from? And you need to have this shield of faith. You need to have this arsenal of the promises of God. And you need to just block these flaming darts. I was even just driving here this morning, and I'm having these darts just flying at me. And I'm like, I'm just rehearsing to myself, Romans chapter 8. This is like a go-to passage for me. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And I came in this morning and I'm like, you know what? I'm a sinner, but I'm not condemned. Because I picked up that shield of faith to block the flaming darts of the evil one. And finally, we put on the helmet of salvation. 
If you get hit in the head, you're dead, right? And so you got to have a helmet on. And so the helmet in our salvation is our hope. It's that we believe that neither angels, nor demons, nor life, nor the present, nor the future, nor anything else can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Satan can kill you, but he can't take you with him to hell. Your hope is secure. If you are in Christ, your future is bright. And so although the world is a very dark place, and you will have very dark moments, you have to remember that you're going to be with Jesus forever. And then finally, the offensive weapon in the arsenal is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And if you think about all the other pieces of armor, they sort of all point us back to the Word of God. If Paul were to give you one exhortation for walking in the Spirit, he would say, know, believe, and love the Word of God. You need to write Scripture on note cards. You need to listen to Scripture as you drive to work. You need to listen to sermons. You need to read the Bible. You need to write the Bible down. You need to talk about the Bible with your friends because the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And what happens when you grab a hold of the Word of God as you're fighting against Satan is he runs away. This was Jesus' primary strategy when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, and it made Satan leave him alone. Satan even quoted scripture to him, twisting it. And Jesus quoted it back to him in its true interpretation. And Satan ran away. Here's the beauty of the Bible. One of the things that I did on my sabbatical is I read the entire New Testament is in its entirety. And what I love about the Bible, it's so fun as a pastor to read the Bible when you're not prepping something for somebody else. It, I just was delighting in the Bible like I was in college again. I was just like, oh, this is so good. I, I just love the Bible. But here's what happens. Every time you read the Bible, something different will stick out to you, even if you're reading the same passage. And what's really cool is we get together with each other in our connection groups, and we all might have heard the same sermon, or we all might have read the same passage, but we'll all get something different out of it. Why do we get something different out of it? It's because this is no ordinary book. When we read the Bible, the Spirit is working in us, and He is bringing the Scripture to bear specifically for our situation in life. So if you want to be strong in Christ, be strong in this book. Be strong in the Word of God. Okay, let me just touch on one thing because I think that it's important to understand our enemy and how specifically he works. Okay, some of you are like, okay, I don't know if I can exactly discern 
how Satan's working and therefore how I would be able to battle him. Because for many of us, lies are just sort of our baseline. We just believe lies so pervasively that we don't even know that they're lies anymore. Here's one thing that I've noticed in my over 20 years of walking with Jesus, okay, is that Satan likes to take a truth of Scripture and make it seem like it's the only truth in Scripture. And then he likes to bury you in it and twist it. So, for example, he might take 1 John 2.17, and he would only tell you the first half of 1 John 2.17. Satan doesn't like to read after commas, okay? He would say, and the world is passing away along with its desires. And he'd be like, yeah, the world is passing away. The world is, is going down. There's no hope in the world. The world is an awful and terrible place. Why would I even want to live? I, I might as well just end it now. And he'll say, the world is passing away. The world is passing away. And what you need to be able to say is, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I have hope. I have joy. I have strength. See, Satan will tell you half of the story, and he won't complete the thought. So when Satan condemns you, you need to be able to finish the story and tell him that there's no condemnation for you in Christ. Okay, finally, when do we fight this battle? We've seen why, we've seen how, when. Paul says, starting in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So in simple terms, when are we to be strong in the Lord at all times? How do we gain strength from the Lord at all times? We're not always going to have our Bible with us. We're not always going to be surrounded by Christian community. But Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He is closer than a brother. He is in us by his spirit. And so we can talk to him at every moment of our day. And apparently there's two different ways of talking to him. One is prayer, the other is supplication. Prayer is simply talking to Jesus about everything. We might praise him. We might talk to him about the ordinary things in our day. We're just keeping touch. We're keeping contact with him. It's not necessarily we've got specific needs or specific fears, but we just like to be with Jesus. We might even just sit in his presence. Like when you sit with the people that you love the most, you might just sit and read a book, and they might read a book, or you might sit and watch TV, and they're watching TV, and you don't talk to each other, but you just enjoy one another's presence. That's prayer, just an awareness, like, I like to be with Jesus. But then, there's also supplication, and here's how I would put supplication. It's putting your deepest needs and fears into questions for Jesus and asks for help. Basically, it's all day like you're nervous about going into that class to take that test. You're saying, help, Jesus. 
that classmate has written something nasty to you and you're wanting to respond to them in a godly way and you're saying, help Jesus, I can't do this. You're saying, I can't do this, but independence on Jesus, but you can do this. So would you please help me to walk in a way that is pleasing to you? Guys, there are things in all of our lives that are so heavy and so hard that are so continually in the background that when we kind of bring them up to each other and and we're constantly asking each other for help, we sort of exhaust even each other's resources in the body of Christ. And we need to admit personally, but also corporately, like we can't fix this situation. We can't handle that. You can't be strong in me as your pastor And you can't be strong in each other as fellow connection group members and leaders and all those things. We need to be strong in the Lord through prayer. I was reminded of this. There's um, something kind of particularly heavy going on in in my life right now. One of my kids is really struggling in school. We're doing a bunch of medical testing on her and just a precipitous decline in her performance. We don't know whether it's related to COVID. She might be having seizures There's just all sorts of things going on with her, and and it's just so heavy. And one of my good friends texted me this. He said, man, is there even such a thing as a sabbatical before age 55? Dang, life is hard. And then he ended it by saying this, Jesus, help us. And as my wife and I have been talking about this situation with our daughter, it's like she even brings it up, and honestly, it's just so heavy and so hard for me that I just say, let's pray right now. Let's pray. It's the only way that we can survive, and some of you are like, man, I just feel so overwhelmed and so embattled, and and like I feel like I can't take one more step. And maybe this will just be an encouragement to you. Do you know the reason you feel embattled? You are. We're in a war. We've tried to turn America into Disneyland, and maybe everything that's happening in our culture and our world is good news for us because it's just going to wake us up to this fact like, life sucks. Jesus is good. And we'll start depending on him. You know, one of my favorite... um, pastors and, and, and guys who's influenced me is a guy named Ray Orland. He's in uh, Nashville. And they've got this um, way that they sort of welcome everybody to their church every Sunday. And, and I just, I've listened to him read this before, and I've been touched by it. And I think it's a good way for us to end this message. Just for those of us specifically that just feel weary and embattled, I, I just invite you, just kind of close your eyes and, and let me just read this over you. And I want you to be able to hear the voice of Jesus through what I'm reading. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
and to whoever will come. This church opens wide her doors and offers her welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you do call us to be soldiers, but you don't call us to be soldiers in our own strength. Thank you that you don't recruit like the Marines, asking for the strongest and the best because we would shrink back. We wouldn't be able to do it. But thank you that you call us. We want a purpose to live for. And thank you that you give us your strength. Thank you that you don't just push us out into the battlefield, but you say, I'll walk with you. I'll, I'll live inside of you. I'll be near to you. And I'll protect you and take care of you. So God, would we, as weak, dependent people, be able to experience your strength in the battle? And even though it doesn't feel like we're winning all the time, would you give us enough victory to keep us going, but enough defeat to keep us dependent? In Jesus' name, amen.